broadcasting live from Shh Part 2. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm your other host, Garrett Strother. And Seamus, that shh part two was so clean and crisp. <laughs> that was beautiful. I loved it. You can almost see me putting my finger up to my mouth, beard and all Krasinski style to give it to you. Oh, uh, don't even worry. We're, we're going to have plenty to talk about and plenty of doing that gesture, despite the fact that we are an audio only show. <laughs> but first, we're going to we're going to talk about our news that we've got coming up. Just let's rush straight into it and let's not dwell on this ASMR any longer. Seamus. Oh, God, that's kind of what I was hoping we could avoid. So I'm in for it. <laughs> First up, uh, we've got, uh, you know, a little bit of a surprise. I guess not really. He's incredible. Jordan Peele's coming out with another horror movie. Uh, we All we got is a poster and a release date of July 22nd, 2022 for almost Nope. Almost exactly a year away. Oh, that's right. No kidding. Oh, yeah, I guess that poster dropped yesterday, so he announced it exactly a year away. Yeah, but Nope, the title, like you said. And the poster is some kind of odd cloud flying saucer, like a flying saucer-shaped cloud with a kite tail sticking out of it. And so, I mean, I'm assuming aliens, that's what that says to me. That was my first thought, too, but knowing Jordan Peele and the creative nature of his absolute insane horror movies, like... Us and Get Out did not see what was going to happen. I did not see any of that coming. And I can only assume it's going to get a lot weirder than just aliens. Maybe like God. To me, from that poster, it looks like it's going to be centralized in a small town. And what if they just come face to face with like their creator and they have to deal with that? I'm, I'm not sure what the title Nope implies, but I kind of love the mystery behind that. Like, what does that mean? Why is it such an informal, sillier word, maybe, for a horror movie? I guess it's it's another single-word title like Us. Maybe he'll start getting into that trend just to, to keep things ambiguous before release. The poster has a lot of, I think, Spielbergian imagery, like, very intentionally. It mm. feels to me the color palette, specifically the light blue hue combined with the pink and orange twinkling of the town's lights in the distance, feel very close encounters of the third kind to me. And oh, even, yeah. like, the mothership in E.T. too. Sure, yeah. And, I mean, I can almost guarantee Jordan Peele is inspired by that era of, like, weird sci-fi. I mean, who isn't really inspired by that, like, Spielbergian epic of outer space and, you know, the great beyond. But, like I said, it might be a little bit of a misdirect trying to make us think extraterrestrial when it might just be like interdimensional or you know ah, maybe the, a, the a man-made skull switch yeah mm. why not I, granted both get out and us the threats were like man-made that got out of hand well, i guess That's get true. out was out of hand immediately could be a, a human science thing that somebody created or i don't know no, consequences right. of our own actions Get your politics out of my horror movies, Seamus. <laughs> yeah, Jordan Peele is not known for any politics in his movies. Absolutely not. Am I alone in thinking that the the cloud is going to verbally talk? Like, do you think that too? That's the first thing I thought of. I just keep thinking about Ch Chicken Little. 
if I'm, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Like, the cloaking the aliens have in Chicken Little. Yeah. Just, I, that's what that cloud is to me. That's real cinema right there. Zach Braff at his finest. Up next for news, In the Heights' Leslie Grace is officially HBO Max's new Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Batgirl. I don't know if we mentioned this on the show, but a couple weeks ago, they made the decision to move this new Batgirl movie exclusively to HBO Max. It's not going to get a theatrical release, which I think doesn't reflect very well on WB right now, because as of right now, they're two Hispanic-led superhero films, Blue Beetle and Batgirl, are going to HBO, and that they don't seem to have faith in those projects to get a return theatrically, which is just kind of sad considering the stuff that they they do put out. I was going to say, man, like this and Blue Beetle, it's not a super subtle decision-making process over there, it would seem. Like they've seen the success of movies led by non-white leads in superhero roles now. Like Black Panther was one of the biggest superhero releases in the world. It's a I bummer. Mean, I think she's a good fit for this role. I think she's got the right energy for it. But speaking of Black Panther, you were mentioning earlier, Black Panther 2, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has cast I May Destroy You's Michaela Cole, who, you know, is really up and coming right now. Uh, she was in one of the Star Wars's, probably number eight. I feel like everybody had a background role in yeah, number I eight. Yeah, I think so. Is she like a First Order, like, admiral or something? I think she's a resistance admiral, but that, you know... They yeah, she's on a computer British and she goes. They've got lying around. And just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. She says, "Captain, there's something on the screen," and then she never is seen again. Yeah, I. She was in one of my all-time favorite episodes of Black Mirror. She was in the USS McAllister. Yes. Star Trek episode, and that she is... kills it in that one too. That I mean... is such a good episode. Like, what? Where's the whole show based off of that episode? To be like, honest, uh, I'd watch that all day. She is definitely one of the better parts of that one. I don't know what it is about her attitude. Maybe it's just her super wide smile that she does in like all of the things I've seen her in that is so very specific and recognizable about her, but she she's just very good whenever I see her pop up and stuff. So yeah, maybe she'll be part of the Dora Milaje? Is that that's, how you say that? That's kind of what I'm thinking. She's, kind of just she's, like she's, badass, bald, warrior woman? Yeah, she seems to have the right vibe for that. She's tall, you know? <laughs> Battlefield Portal was just announced with a real nice trailer. Basically, it's the announcement that custom, fully customizable games will be an option in the upcoming Battlefield, including mixing and matching vehicles, maps, soldier skins, weapons from all eras of Battlefield games. So you're going from old Battlefield 1 in World War 1, you can go World War 2... Modern war, that distant future war that they're hitting on, the robots and advanced gear. You can mix and match any of that in a custom game. And I think that is honestly worth the full price of that game now, knowing that it's only multiplayer only modes. This is something that is much more interesting to me as somebody who was, one, skeptical of it being multiplayer only. Not that I'm going to play the campaign anyway, but, uh, you know, I'm just <laughs> a stooge like that. And two, the fact that I wasn't particularly interested in the 2042 future war crap. So the idea of having like that classic Battlefield stuff, those classic Battlefield assets in this game definitely 
hold a little bit more allure to me now. So I'll probably check it out from the library or whatever, give it a shot. They don't care about any historical anything. They're just saying, go have a blast, you know? And we have another bit of video game news as well, don't we, Seamus? Yeah, this is a a big one. Personally, for me, I kind of missed, like, this series missed me, rather. A Dead Space remake was announced that nobody really saw coming. That franchise has been kind of in the ground for a long many years, but they're they're bringing it back, starting from one. Presumably, they're going to go through the whole franchise again if this one is as popular as, I mean, I think it's going to be. This is one of the classic survival horror franchises of the last generation, or I guess the PS3, Xbox 360 generation, and I'm just excited I'm going to get to play it on a PS5, if I'm being honest. You gotta sneak that in there, don't you, Seamus? I'm gonna be an equal to you. I'm no longer a peasant, Garrett. How do you like that? How do I feel better than you now, Seamus? When we when we play zombies together, it's who who's gonna get down first. That's how we'll that's how we'll mark it. It's fun. We'll stream it. It'll be fun. I don't think there's a multiplayer for Dead Space though. At least for the first one, there might be for the second and third. But like I said, I I never got the luxury of enjoying that franchise. But now I'm gonna it's gonna be top of my list for sure. Just because. I've heard just how damn scary it is. Like, for a shooter, third-person shooter, it's apparently just terrifying. It looks like a alien film, like a Sigourney Weaver alien film. Oh, yeah. It's definitely got that vibe, too. It's just, like, lone survivor on an abandoned space station full of monsters that can, like, go into walls, maybe? I never played it. Up next, Billie Eilish has a new concert film, Happier Than Ever, A Love Letter to Los Angeles, coming to Disney Plus September 3rd. And it is the Disney Plus in that sentence that is really catching me off guard. Yeah, man, I was going to say, that's not where I would expect it to necessarily end up, considering Disney Plus has always been kind of like a family-forward kind of thing. Not to say that Billie Eilish isn't, but, like, she's eating spiders and stuff, you know? That's not, like, Disney brand. I mean, Billie Eilish's videos definitely have disturbing imagery that probably isn't great for kids, but it's more, I think, that... (laughs) Billie Eilish does not mesh with what I perceive to be the Disney brand. Like, she's not Olivia Rodrigo, who's a literal Disney Plus actor. She didn't come out of that machine they've got going. I'm, I was like, are you sure you don't mean Hulu? Is that- <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, that's where I thought it would end up, too. Or Apple TV after they had the documentary, but that's not a Disney thing. So, I'm excited to watch this. This sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, I'm sure it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting getting more insight behind the scenes on her more modern side of her career now that she's kind of trying new things and advancing in ways that we weren't sure she was going to before. This will be this will be an interesting watch for sure. I think it's definitely gonna be an interesting companion piece to the documentary on Apple TV. So I recommended that a while ago, but if you haven't checked it out, it's two and a half hours, but it's worth your time. It's really interesting. Yeah, right on. And our last thing that we have to do before we move into our main segment is do our Fantastic Four casting, specifically Mr. Fantastic. Last week, during our Loki finale show, we talked about the possibility that Reed Richards in the MCU potentially could be African-American based on some new characters that they've introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. With So we took our time and we, we've come back with our picks for who we think would be a good Reed Richards to fill out that world. 
So Seamus, do you want to do you want to go ahead and go first? Yeah, man, I'll definitely go first here. I was racking my brain trying to think who would be a good fit, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. It's it's somebody that we've seen quite a few times recently for our show, actually, between his more scientific yet badass role in Kong Skull Island and his more dramatic and playful side in In the Heights. Corey Hawkins would make a very interesting Reed Richards, just because I've, I've seen him in all of the the roles that would individually make up interesting parts of Reed Richards, but I think altogether he could really pull it off. That is a fantastic snipe, Seamus. I love that. Thank I hadn't even you. thought about him. Yeah, man. I just, I remembered, because he's got, like, glasses, and he's, like, the geotech in Kong, but then he, like, picks up a shotgun, and... He, like, joins the team. He, get, he gets his badass side. Now, I've got one small hiccup that I realized, like, a second ago, looking back at his page right now. I think he has, like, one line in Iron Man 3? What? He's, I don't He's, that. like, apparently he's, like, a radar tech in an Air Force base for one second in Iron Man 3. Do they say his name? Martin Starrett, man. You're like, oh, yeah, that yeah, was exactly. Reed Richards. Oh, Reed Richards, you used to help the Air Force, right? Yeah, totally. Moving on. Don't let that stuff stand in the way. I think he's an absolutely great pick, especially now that, like, thinking about him in the context of Kong. I yeah, think that's right? super cool. That's why I couldn't get him out of my head there. But but what do, what do you bring to the table, man? I, I want to hear what you think. I actually went ahead and fleshed out the full Fantastic Four cast with this. Ooh. But I'll start you off with my Reed Richards, who is... Also somebody we talk about a lot on the show, but for one specific role, William Jackson Harper. Cheaty. He's perfect. Another glasses wearing man. <laughs> oh, that is so tight. I'm I'm into that. He's already ripped. Like, yeah, you know oh that. yeah. He is fit as hell, I forgot. And like imagine if he grew his hair out a little bit on the top and kept it short on the sides, which is what he seems to do when he's not in like a roll, and you had that but where it's short on the sides it's grey. Oh, hell yeah. That's that's great. Absolutely into that. I can just hear him in his voice just explaining something quantum or whatever the hell, and it's just, it's perfect. Tell me who, who the rest of your Fantastic Four team is. For The Invisible Woman, I was thinking Rebecca Ferguson would be a really good fit. Do you uh, know? Is Rebecca Ferguson again? I, I don't actually know if you've seen her in anything, Seamus. She's in the last couple Mission Impossible movies, five and six. She was the villain in Doctor Sleep, and she's been blonde in um, the Girl on the Train. Did you see that with Emily Blunt? Oh, I did not see that one. It's fine, but she's blonde <laughs> in that movie. Which okay, okay. She's usually like dark haired, but I think she'd be really good, and she's like the right age, I think, to be with William Jackson Harper for my Human Torch pick. The popular theory is that Krasinski and Blunt should be the Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman duo. Sure. And my argument has always been, if you're gonna do them, let her be British and get another British guy to be the Human Torch, and my same pick that I'll stick with here is Taron Edgerton from Kingsman. Oh, hell yeah. He could, oh, 100%. A little, little arrogant, still really capable, very likable, too, even though he's kind of a jerk. I, I think that's a fantastic fantastic pick for the human torch he's great and he should have a better career than he does he should have gotten an oscar nomination for rocket man i think 
It's um, insane that he didn't. I I will I will always think about that. But I had a really hard time coming up with my thing. <laughs> because you don't necessarily need like a big guy. You need somebody who can because you know you're going to do that with CGI or you know you might go the Michael Chiklis around and put him in a bunch of foam or whatever <laughs> big suit. But you do want somebody that can bulk up enough before the transformation that it doesn't feel like too big a stretch. Like I think that was one of the criticisms of Fan Forstick. Yeah, that, that, that scrawny ginger guy. guy. Mm-hmm. The most important thing I feel like though for the thing is he's got to have a great voice because that's yes. what he's going to be doing. I was pretty proud of myself when I came up with. I don't know if he'd want to do it because he's. I think he's kind of tired of working with Disney. Oh wait, no! I totally dropped the ball on this, Seamus, because he can't huh? do it because he's Moon Knight. Oscar Isaac. Oh man! Oh, that would have been a good one too. Damn. You you messed up, Garrett. Uh, Anybody famous is already cast. I, that's the problem with doing these Marvel casts now is because everybody's in them. Uh, I think I'm I think I'm clear to have Pedro Pascal be Doom still because I think he'd be just a fantastic. I've I've thought oh, since yeah. he was on Game of Thrones that he would be a great Doom. I think threw that around last week too when we were talking about. That's interesting. I mean, I'll I can always throw in the you know. DeVito for the thing because it really would just be the voice you know some mm. older I feel like an older less in shape the thing kind of like a chickless was he was he muscly in that those original ones I never I saw the original so. ones no I think has he I ever mean, like, been not, muscly I don't think he's in bad shape or anything I think he's just like a guy <laughs> You know? I mean, I know him best from Gotham, the best show on Fox, and I didn't he's know that. never. I didn't know. He yeah, was man, Gotham. he's um the executioner. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see for our Fantastic Four news to see if it ever comes to fruition. Podcasting call, right? I think that's just for Reed Richards, though, because yeah, 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 you know, because you didn't have other ones ready, and I messed up with Oscar Isaac. But now let's move on to our main segment, a quiet place. All right, this week, our main segment, A Quiet Place Part 2, just recently released on Paramount+. Plus. Looking through, just real quick, before we get into the actual movie, Paramount+, Plus has a lot more stuff than it did when it was CBS All Access. There's, like, more than ten movies on there. Still a terrible interface. Like, I can't browse at all. <laughs> yeah, I had, some, uh, I had some trouble on my end, too. Uh, the PS4 app was just fully crashing before the movie was technically over uh restarting my movie from the top when i tried to back out and you can only fast forward times three about 20 seconds at a time so it Ugh. took like 10 minutes to get back to the end of the movie that's awful. Not, not the best but i mean you know it's paramount plus <laughs> slash cbs all access so i I didn't really have too high of expectations going in, I guess. But the movie itself, I thought it was pretty good, Seamus. I don't know what you thought. It exceeded my expectations. Yeah, man. I did my absolute best to know nothing plot-wise, really not get into the reviews as much either. I wanted as much of a clean slate as possible going in. And I gotta say, I'm, I'm right there with you that I very pleasantly surprised how much I liked it. For sure. And, you know, there is a twinge of that, like, did 
Krasinski really want to come back, but, you know, here reading interviews and seeing what I saw about how he just, like, had that insane spark of inspiration when he came up with the intro to this movie and how he was, like, that was kind of what drove him to come back. It was his own personal random ideas. I I can kind of feel that going back into the, the writing of it all. We'll talk about this in spoilers, but from the second this movie starts, you can tell that his heart is in that sequence like oh yeah it is on from the second the movie says go there are some lulls it doesn't keep that intensity that passion up the whole time i don't think plus even though i did the same as you kept away from reviews kept away from interviews whatever i had some preconceived notions based on the first teaser trailer that definitely colored i think my experience with this film in a way that I would not have expected it to. Seamus, what is your sequel philosophy? Do you think that it needs to stand on its own? Because I think if you did not see the first Quiet Place movie, you're going to have a rough time with this one. Yeah, honestly, I think that a lot of the stuff with the monsters and the, the rules of the world itself, I, I think that it would not be in your best interest to start with part two in any way i mean you can definitely pick up a lot of what's going on pretty quickly especially with the intro sequence there but the gravity of like this family unit and the gravity of this the world they live in is so very much like the full basis of how that first one is going it's a lot less action in that first one and a lot more suspense and tension that isn't really met with full-on fighting but you know that hiding the emphasis on no noise because there is absolutely no way to to hurt those things it's a good one-two punch it's not going to make much sense if you're going into just just blind part two yeah i i agree that i mean this is worth activating your paramount plus free trial for if you want to binge that new iCarly reboot (laughs) (laughs) oh i saw that on there yeah i liked this movie i don't think it's quite as tight as the first one but there are elements of it i really enjoyed they're definitely taking advantage of what is clearly a bigger budget and it took the world in some interesting directions that i enjoyed so i i would say if you have any interest at all in it if you liked the first one it's definitely worth watching yeah like you said if you want to just pop on that quick free trial it's you know it's a free movie that is like totally solid but should we talk spoilers Seamus so we can really get into it I would absolutely love to because boy howdy let's just get into this intro man what what a picture (laughs) truly (laughs) it was really great just even that day one title card surprise because it's like quiet small town no cars in the streets, no people on the sidewalks, but it's just like their quiet life that they've lived all along anyway. And just the tension that's built with just like, they're at a baseball game, everyone's making noise, you know what's about to happen. Oh, mm-hmm. I loved it. Those monsters ripping through the streets. It opens with Krasinski at the general store from the first movie and yes it does the camera holds on that rocket ship that's gonna kill his son you know what it doesn't hold on it it straight pans past it but i'm i did the leo dicaprio pointing meme as soon as it got on screen let me tell you this is the first time that once upon a time in hollywood has been mentioned on this podcast and it's been twice (laughs) in a minute 
and <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's got that Shaun of the Dead feeling of like oh, just yeah. walking through town. Here's my tracking shot. I I liked it. I liked the tension that was building. Obviously, you know it's coming. I wish they hadn't shown so much of this sequence in the trailer because it is such an impressive sequence. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I mean like just the. I don't know, the the energy of the panic of everybody at this Little League game as a massive meteor is crashing towards Earth is incredible. The jump scares that they put in there of just these beasts coming out of nowhere, ripping through this tiny town is fantastic. I was thinking a lot about Cloverfield for obvious reasons <laughs> and for not as obvious reasons, but, you know, that intro sequence definitely like hiding in the in the bar, all the streets filled with panicking people. Kind of like the chaos that was ensuing. Yeah, very Cloverfield vibes to me. Original Cloverfield, 2008 I can definitely see that. Killian Murphy w- was yeah. in that sequence, which I wasn't expecting. Obviously, I knew he was in the movie from the trailer, but... Yeah, I must have completely forgot he was in any kind of anything for this movie. Because I was like, oh man, uh, he's at this baseball game. I hope he doesn't die in this intro. But he was good. He played John Krasinski's character incredibly well. <laughs> I know they're farmers and everything but it really just was like all right we gotta have the same arc from the first movie so bring in not john krasinski in that bar scene we get the great first of many many john krasinski yeah i love as soon as he did it i was like we're only 10 minutes in he did the thing already all right yeah but he's i mean he's only in the first 15 minutes so we get a lot of different characters doing that doing that move yeah, but it's you know, the dapping up the Krasinski spirit. It's the origin of that <laughs> yeah, is yeah. iconic. We've also got what I think is definitely the standout of that sequence: the children of men rotating car shot. Oh yeah, with the with the bus and they have to go backwards and everything. Like yeah, it's very similar to how that the scene in Children of Men that it is very clearly inspired by and taking cues from that weird first person perspective of being in the car with them makes everything feel so much more chaotic yeah seriously watching like all the extras running in the periphery view out of the windows cars going off everywhere the kids that great seeing... switch yeah Sorry. the kids seeing no no no. you're you're exactly right it's it's very well done very masterful i was so impressed with that again i wish it hadn't been in the trailer because it's so good yeah, totally. That was the big moment in this movie where I was like, this would have been really cool in a theater. Like, this would have been really oh, yeah. satisfying. I didn't think that they could trump Nail in Foot, which I love that the Nail is still there, still oh. didn't take care of it. Yeah, Nail is still there, Whiteboard is still there. I thought <laughs> yeah. the, the continuity guy on this movie was having a nightmare being like, okay, <laughs> where exactly? Because it's it's minutes after that first movie ends. Like, it's very, very quick. They're going to get the stuff that, yeah, whiteboards are still there. Love to see that. I was going to say, oh, that bear trap, dog. I, oh, my God. Wincing beyond wincing, just cringing at this boy getting his bones crushed by a, by a bear trap. I do not know the last time I shouted an expletive watching TV alone. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, I was I was right there with you, dude. Because there is no warning. They, like, set up that nail pretty painstakingly in the first one. He just chops that ankle down. Ugh. It, they do the really good horror movie thing of 
they show it to you just long enough for you to register that it's about to happen before it. Like, yeah, if you see the bear trap, you see the foot going in, and then you have the moment of like, oh no, <laughs> then <laughs> there it is. Oh, it's so rough. That kid, the brother, gets a terrible deal in this movie. The short end of every stick. Like, he's really? just screwed. Oh, poor kid. Noah Jupe. He's a great actor. No, he was really good in this one. You know, all the screaming he gets to do, he's killing it. I really am impressed with him and Millicent Simmons. I think both were really good in the first film, but genuinely elevated their craft are the leads of this film. Oh, yeah. Much more than the adults are, I would say. it's, And I think that's that's very clear in the final sequence of yeah, making absolutely. clear that this is their ascension into being, like, I don't know, caregivers? You know, they're taking I mean, care of Kind of, yeah. And, you know, the brother is kind of taking care of the baby, <laughs> you know? He almost suffocates it a couple different times, but <laughs> when, when he we knew that was coming it, with that box, man. Oh, man. His arc in this film... I thought was so well executed because I think the arcs in the first film are very telegraphed. I think like the sure. little the little dialogue that is in them, you know, with the sign language and everything is very like I love you. I always yeah, love yeah. you like all that stuff. And in this film, his arc I do not remember there being dialogue that specifically pertained to his arc either spoken or signed it was really mostly just like him pleading with his sister not to go and him pleading with his mother not to go and then ultimately stepping up to the plate at the end to face that cloverfield monster himself with the pistol and let his baby brother slash sister i don't remember i don't remember either let his baby sibling and his mom, who's, like, been through a, a ton already, just, like, like you said, he's kind of becoming the actual caregiver at that point, taking that man of the family, I don't know if you want to call it that, he's still processing the death of his father, and a lot of what his character was in the first movie was kind of that, like, you need to be capable enough to take care of yourself and your mother and your sister and not succumb to these anxieties, which he kind of does throughout the second movie granted he's immobilized but mm -hmm. he he comes through in the end and that's that's that satisfying arc there almost entirely told visually starting with he is the thing that takes us from that really strong opening to where the first one left off with him cowering with his hands over his ears yeah what a strong way to start off that arc what a succinct visual representation of his starting point and showing the fact that, that it's something that he's been carrying with him. Having it be that jump, that match cut, makes it so you understand that he's not been able to get over this fear over a year later. Very well done, that that actor. He's he's good good man. I'm I hear they're making a third one. I hear that Krasinski is not attached. It's super early in everything right now, so I mean he said he didn't want to do the second one initially. Maybe he'll change his mind again, but you know, hopefully that that kid comes back. Hopefully they both come back, assuming they're going to be the main characters. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're going to bring that intensity all the way back. And maybe that'll make up for the lack of 
Krasinski. And I'm, you know, Emily Blunt, I think, won't do it without him regardless. So. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Emily Blunt works. It's, <laughs> she's an actor. She's doing it. Yeah, her. I know. But that was her whole thing was like they pitched a sequel to them before the second one was going to happen. And she was like, well, I'm not going to do it unless my boy here comes back to direct. And Krasinski was like, nah, I'm good. That's fine. And she was like, well, I'm out of here. And it was just not going to happen with them until he got that weird spark to write the second one. I really kind of thought they were going to kill her in this movie. I kind of thought that too. I felt actual tension for her well-being. I also felt that for Killian Murphy. Obviously, I didn't feel that so much for the kids. Talk to me about the... The weird cannibal people and the... Oh, yeah. You mean the weird cannibal people that I thought were going to have way more to do in this movie? That's, I think, my biggest complaint with this movie is it was sold to me, I feel like, by the trailers as, oh, we're really opening up the world of A Quiet Place. Obviously, you don't remember the trailer as well as I do, but the entire movie, I was like, where is Jamon Hanzu? He was in the trailer. (laughs) Where is he? Uh... I had forgotten about him, so seeing his face on that island was a, was a very pleasant surprise. So I was really expecting them to get to, like, the rest of civilization a lot sooner, especially considering Killian Murphy's whole setup of, like, you don't understand the people that are left there <laughs> we're saving. Like, they, they straight up gave us the people are the real monsters, and then they were on a dock for a minute and a half. Yeah, I'm pretty underwhelmed by that aspect of the storytelling. I still respect most of what this movie was doing, but I do wish that there had been a little bit more of that. Because that was a pretty effective, like, when she puts the noose around his neck and... Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't know what the subtext was supposed to be with Millicent Simmons. I couldn't tell if it was, like, were they gonna eat her? Were they gonna, like, make her, like, some kind of slave? Like, I couldn't really... Yeah, I'm not, I I can assume it was did they say cannibal earlier or are we just assuming that? I think we're just assuming it. I think it's something about the way the little girl had like that red face that makes me think cannibal. It's very possibly cannibals. I guess that's not out of the realm of any possibility. I honestly thought the radio signal, the somewhere over the sea was some kind of trap that they were going to get to the island and it was going to be the cannibal people. And they had to, like, fight their way through to get to the radio tower or something. But they kind of just, uh, you know, Killian Murphy gets his little drowning sequence that he has to wrestle out of. And that's also where we learn that the weakness of the monsters is just deep water. They just can't swim at all and will drown. Which is interesting because there's that such a memorable sequence of them being in the water in the first movie. Yeah, right? It was, like, in the flooding basement, right? Yeah, which, I mean, like, I guess it doesn't mean that they're water-averse if they're just tall enough to walk through, but I just thought that was an interesting thing for them to drop it in the middle of this movie and not really address again. (laughs) Pretty weird, I guess, but they gotta make that island mostly secure somehow. Were you, like, a little antsy when they got to the island and they're just like having dinner and chilling out and they're like, what about all of the other people that you abandoned kind of to do this, that you're just kind of taking your time now. Okay. It's, it's, it's time to go get your, your mom now. I was like, you got it. Your baby, you got a baby, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like cutting back and forth between like talking at a campfire with laughing children to like the brother suffocating in that bunker. It, it got me pretty uh, whiplashed there going back and forth. It's one thing 
for Killian Murphy, he was pretty messed up. But, like, why don't Millicent Simmons and Javon Hanzu go? You know? Yeah, sure. I did really enjoy the reveal of the boat being washed up on the island. Oh, yeah. That That's was fun. a really effective turn. Oh, man. Watching that little happy village get just massacred, just like the intro. Pretty rough. I think that feels intentional for it to be reminiscent of the intro. It looks like, this is a reference you don't get, it looks a lot like the village where the others live in Lost, and that was really, like, bothering <laughs> me. Oh, yeah. Hey, there's another Cloverfield JJ connection for you, baby. Is Lost in the Cloververse, Seamus? I believe there's, I see, I don't know Lost. There's some government agency that investigates weird stuff in Lost, right? Well, not exactly, but there's the Dharma well, Initiative, yes. The Dharma Initiative logo is in the intro of the original Cloverfield when they're showing, like, the property of the U.S. military found okay. in formerly known as Central Park, all that stuff, so... Is Oceanic Airlines in the Cloverfield-verse? Oh, maybe? That's not something I know, but if I maybe am looking for it, I might be able to find it. Because I know that Revolution also has Oceanic Airlines, and, um, what's the other one? The, the one where everybody, the one where everybody falls asleep for three minutes on Earth, and then they all have oh, a weird flash oh. forward. Oh, it's called Flash Forward. It's called hey. Flash Forward, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good walking backwards into Flash Forward. I didn't know that was an Abrams. I don't really know who, it might be a Lindelof or something. Wouldn't that be interesting if there was, like, Abrams is like, Lost is connected to all of these movies, but then Lindelof is like, but also separately, in a different oh universe, Lost is connected to all of these shows. I also want to point out that Killian Murphy's character's name is Emmett, just like John Gallagher Jr. in 10 Cloverfield Lane, and that's it. Just like that. that Trucker hat and all. Yeah, and beard, flannel, He's 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 got the look. I he's guess that's also the... just the Krasinski look from the first one. I was going to say, it's the post-apocalyptic <laughs> everyman. It's your... The it's... Joel Miller. I was about to say, it's your Last of Us. There's a lot of Last of Us in this movie, huh? Oh, uh, what? Yeah, are you kidding me? Especially that intro? Oh my god. And the adoptive father figure who's, like, helping a young girl with a quest to go across long distance. It's a lot of that. The young girl who has the secret to defeating... The, oh yeah you know <laughs> if we ever do get that quiet place part three maybe we'll see more of those cannibals get them fleshed out maybe fleshed out well didn't mean to do that but there we go because they end this movie on not a cliffhanger per se but with a lot of things not kind of set into a more concrete resolution place you know i know they're trying to do the first one again get that momentum that the first one had and trying to set up for a third one like very transparently but yeah yeah this movie needed some falling action that it did not get <laughs> it did not get any falling yeah. action i kind of alluded to it before but i was having some trouble with paramount plus and every single time we would get to the moment where they're zooming in on her hearing aid on the microphone mm -hmm. it would get it would do that swelling music the really intense thing it would get right up into the very last second of the shot and then the app would crash and the the movie would stop and i tried for at least 30 minutes to like 
navigate the app and like try to find the space again. I went on your account to try to watch the ending. It stopped just literally the second it cuts to black for the credits. So I fully expected there to be at least some kind of like, oh, they're bringing the baby to the island and things are kind of okay. That monster killed enough people that lived here that there's a house available and everything's cool. Say, the monster that they brought with them to the island <laughs> that yeah. killed enough people so that they have resources it, for them. They could have not dilly dallied so much. Go. There's stuff to do. Yeah, the the mom is like trekking out to get oxygen tanks and stuff and really painstakingly like hard decision to like leave her other two children behind when her daughter like went out into the wild without her and they're just like eating chili. So was she a pharmacist or a nurse or a doctor or something? Oh maybe? Because is she that, knows do you a think... lot about medicine. Yeah, I guess that is true. I mean I guess I never really put that subtext together, but that's very, very possible that she's, like... Because she's also the one in the first movie who's, like, specifically taking very specific prescriptions out of the Mm -hmm. pharmacy in the intro, right? And the fact that she, you know, delivers her own freaking baby. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that this movie is, like, again, 90 minutes, similar to the first one. Oh, yeah. But it needed a longer second act, and it needed more falling action, and it could have been an hour and 45 minutes and been just fine. I totally agree. And gr- granted, the first one was definitely the alien, where it's a lot more hiding and, you know, keeping quiet. And this one is very much aliens, where it's just like, yeah, let's just fight a lot. Let's have a lot of big action scenes where people are in broad daylight are getting killed by these monsters we didn't get too great a view on in the first one until, like, the very end. But yeah, you're right. It could have used a little more on the back end, and it would have been a lot more satisfying, I think. But overall, I liked this movie, and I'm I'm glad we checked it out, Seamus. Yeah, you know, I don't know how much more I would have gotten out of this one in a theater. I feel like that first Quiet Place was, like, an incredible theater experience. But this one, I thoroughly enjoyed just on Paramount, just in my living room. And I am looking forward maybe to the third one? I don't know. We'll see. I was skeptical about this one, too, and I really enjoyed it. So if they keep they keep that momentum up i think it'll be a good franchise moving forward i mean i think there are plenty of directions they can go with the third one that i'm interested enough to see it as long as the creative team behind it is solid yeah definitely man i I completely agree there just wasn't a lot of the quiet suspense that the first yeah you know the jurassic park classic that the first one is doing yeah it's just i mean there is so much jurassic park in that movie for sure. And there's there's Jurassic Park in this movie too, but in a different way. Doing a lot fewer of those kind of quiet having to hide from the monster things. Like there's the one on the train and there's the oh, one yeah. with Emily Blunt and the sprinklers. But I feel like that's mostly it. But yeah, I think we should move on to our pop culture reference, Seamus. What do you think? Let's do it, man. This week's pop culture reference is ADR or Automated Dialogue Replacement. ADR, also known as looping, is a filmmaking technique that allows audio to be recorded and edited into previously filmed shots. If there are complications on set regarding consistent environmental elements like wind, airplanes, or other distant uncontrollable noise that make the synced audio recordings unusable, or a specific vision to craft an audio pairing that can't be achieved on a live set, the post-production editing team will record any needed dialogue with the actors after initial shooting has wrapped. 
Some studios use ADR to change plot points, important main character dialogue, and other integral moments in films before final release to adhere to the most recent data on consumer opinions, to change directions in a future of a franchise last minute, or to keep major spoilers of a film from being leaked by crew members and actors too early into production. You can sometimes recognize moments like this if there is a discrepancy in any actor's mouth movement versus the words being spoken, if a major piece of dialogue is delivered with the characters back to the camera, or if a character is off-screen completely while speaking. In a film such as A Quiet Place Part 2, most, if not all, dialogue would have been recorded in post-production and mixed perfectly with the elements of silence as opposed to attempting to whisper at a perfect decibel on set while physically acting at the same time. This technique is closely related to a previous pop culture reference of ours, Foley artistry, as both very important and long-use techniques involved creating a tapestry of sound to further the immersiveness of a film and to create the vision of the filmmakers that could not be achieved on a live set. Two big examples I can think of of ADR, but not exactly in the same way that you think of it as being ADR, is in Deadpool, I know that they change a lot of the jokes in the trailers because they don't have to worry about his mouth moving. Because of the mask. And also, I think a big, very famous bit of, this is also a weird one because it's, technically ADR, but they were going to re-record it regardless anyway. When they did The Empire Strikes Back, James Earl Jones is obviously always going to re-record Vader's dialogue from the David Prowse onset dialogue regardless, right? So this is kind of a weird one, but when they were recording the actual scene, they did not say that Darth Vader was Luke's father because they didn't want anybody to be able to leak that. David Prowse didn't even know. So they had David Prowse say, Obi-Wan killed your father, and then only yes, James Earl right. Jones knew the real line. Yeah, that's definitely the like the most famous one that came to my mind, for sure. But yeah, that's a pretty cut-and-dry pop culture reference, I'd say. Just a very common technique that you'll see a lot of the time. Like we said before, something like A Quiet Place. Very obviously, they're, they're not whispering that low on set. It's, it's gotta be very specifically done, or else it would be almost unwatchable. But with that, Garrett, what do you say we kick it on over and save the rec center? Let's do it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Garrett, you locked and loaded? I am. Seamus, I have been taking some master classes of late. I've still got that free year that they gave to students because of the pandemic. Okay. And I've been taking James Cameron's masterclass on filmmaking. And for that class, I had to rewatch Aliens. And mm. it just absolutely blows my mind how good Aliens is. It's a masterwork. I really don't throw around words like perfect a lot. Um, <laughs> but it might be a perfect movie. It's one of the best sequels ever made. But specifically, my rec center, I think, to give it a little bit of an edge, is if you've not seen the Aliens director's cut, you are not seeing the superior version of that movie. Oh, yeah. It's added like 15 or 20 minutes, but it's where all the character work is. It's just brilliant. I've got that box set of the first four Alien movies, and I cannot ever bring myself to watch anything but the director's cut it's so so good we probably reference it to each other just naturally not even thinking about it all the time just between like that absolute magnificent bastard bill paxson and (laughs) 
I don't know. I'm just thinking about it right now. I want to go watch it because it is such a badass. And I mean, still very full of heart. Like you said, that director's cut, it's where all the little extra goodies are. And it, it adds so much that I think you just have to do the director's cut too. I also think it came up organically twice on this episode already. <laughs> yeah. So. I, well, speaking of things that came up organically on this episode already, my rec center this week is The Last of Us Part 2, actually, to go with our Part 2 theme over here in The Quiet Place. I just finished up the story for the first time ever. It got kind of spoiled for me the week it came out, but I had no idea what was coming really like i i knew some of the biggest main details of the ending but the journey getting there was just absolutely incredible i was thinking about it a lot during a quiet place part two between the the chaos in the intro and like we were saying before killian murphy's relationship with the main girl and just everything about the world building that that leads to a good apocalypse filled with incredibly desperate people got me thinking about it again and a lot of people really disliked the direction they went in at the end of last of us part two but i think that if you're looking for just the most dark just such a black story of death and revenge and a realism of the emotionality behind something like such rage and revenge. It's it's really incredible stuff. And I don't know if you've gotten over to that part of the PlayStation yet, Garrett, but I highly recommend you, you go through them both. I really would like to, and I started the first one multiple times on my PS3, and I just never want to play it. Like, when I'm playing Why? it, it's too sad. I'm like, I, this, <laughs> do I want to be sad while I play this oh, game? Oh, man, <laughs> if you think the first one is sad, jeez, man, buckle up. I've never finished the first one. I've probably made it, like, three hours into the first one. I've got the, the quote, remaster on the PlayStation Plus collection. Oh, right, so yeah. I really should just do that. But I really think you should, man. Especially that first one is is just incredible. But like I'm saying, the second one is like a study in how video games can be legitimate drama that makes you feel like absolute garbage in your in your heart. It's it's something impressive. I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. That's also our handle on Instagram. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, subscribe, whatever platform you're listening on, go leave us a comment on YouTube, and and I think that's about it. Yeah, join us next week for our Suicide Squad Extended Cut chat, which will just be absolutely something. It's going to be weird. I don't... (laughs) And we don't even get to watch it together, Seamus. It's just going to be us alone, sitting in our respective rooms. Adios, amigos. Adios.